Hey, you're listening to the Southeastern University's Ohio Regional Campus Podcast. We pray these chapel sessions encourage and empower you, inspiring your imagination and sharpening your skills and values, both for current and future leaders for Christ. Thanks for listening. Well, I opened up Real Talk last night by sharing a Devo on the Sabbath, so if you were there last night, then I'm sorry, you get to hear from me twice in the 12-hour time period, so I apologize in advance if you know you just want to check out, then I totally understand, but we're just going to pray before we get started this morning. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here in such a powerful way this morning. We just sense you in our worship, Lord, and when our praise goes up, your glory comes down and we can feel you here. So, Lord, have your way this morning. Have your way in our hearts. May our ears and our eyes be open to what you're saying to us. In your mighty name, amen. So, all my life, I consider myself what, or what you might consider myself to be kind of a control freak. So when I was a child, my parents deemed me as that dreaded word, bossy. And they weren't totally wrong. So there was that, that one time when I was about eight years old, and I remember I lived in a small subdivision where there was a bunch of kids my brother and I's age. And so we were all at my parents' house, and we're all playing, we're all having a good time. My dad had built this big deck with his friend, um, and so we're all hanging out on the deck, having a good time. And then my good friend, Hannah, comes over. So Hannah was whose home I went over to have sleepovers with. We were in the same class at school. She was my buddy. And she comes over. I see her walking up from across her yard. And you know what I said to her? I told her, there's too many people here. You have to go home. I told her, like, who says that? Like, what's one more person? There's already a crowd of people there, and she's my close friend. Why would I tell her to go home? Like, how controlling is that? So bossy. But that's not the only time I was bossy when I was younger. I had some friends at church, another friend named Hannah. So I had a lot of friends named Hannah. It's a very biblical name. But um, I had a friend named Hannah and Caitlin, and they were so good at whistling. Well, I could never whistle. Like, I still can't whistle to this day. It's one of those arts that I can appreciate now, but I told, like, it just doesn't work. You know, I've convinced myself it's something just my body just won't let me do. You know, like, it must be the way that my teeth are shaped or something. And so when I was around them, I would say, you guys can't whistle around me because I can't whistle. <laughs> like, it makes sense, right? Like, you're making me feel left out because you can whistle and I can't whistle. So I was bossy. I was such a control freak with my friends. I don't know how Hannah is still my friend to this day. I guess she's forgiven me of all those things. Then I see how this control freak has played out in my dating years and how I would try to control and, and force God's hand and timing on things. So I would try and you know, pursue a guy like, be interested and, you know, kind of almost know a lot more about him than, than he knew about me, which is kind of weird. But it turns out that when you like someone, they actually have to like you back. Like, you can't just pick someone. They have to pick you back. And so for years, that was the story of my life. I would see someone, I'd be like, oh, like, he's so cute, he's so godly, but he had no idea what my name was, or we were friends as far as he was concerned. 
But as I've grown older, something that I've come to realize is that if there's one thing that I'm, just one thing that I'm going to control, it's going to be my need for control. If I can control anything, I want to control my need for control. And this morning, I want to talk to you guys about something that's so fundamental to the Christian faith, something that's so duh, that's so obvious, and that is coming to God and giving him complete control over every area of our lives. It's something we've prayed in church some of you years ago, some of you even more recently than that, but you ask God to come into your heart, and with that came complete control. And for a control freak like me, that's not easy. But when we give God complete control, what we gain is a life that's actually worth living. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning if you want to follow along. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. So he writes, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. If we notice, this part of the passage starts with from that time on. So what does this mean? Well, up until this point in time, Jesus was proclaiming his kingdom. He was performing miracles, and he was sharing all those stories. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. So up until this time, he's proclaiming his kingdom, and while people were awaiting a Messiah, they never accounted, they had a lot of ideas of what the Messiah would be like, right? But they never accounted for a suffering Messiah. They probably thought this kingdom was not only, they weren't thinking spiritually and heavenly, but this earthly kingdom that Jesus was going to build when he conquered Rome and when he set everybody free. But that's not what he was talking about. And just a side note, I think we often understand God through the lens of our culture and our need. People understood him through the lens of their culture and their need. So I want to keep reading because that's not going to be my main point today. So in verse 24, it goes, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's significant to note that this, this saying of Jesus is, is, in, is recorded in all of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all have their own twist on it, which is interesting to read, and we'll reveal that as we go on. But must have been pretty important if all of them thought to include this, if it was memorable for all of them. So he's talking to Peter, and Peter's like, no, Lord, and he rebukes him. And then he turns, and in this passage, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, but in Mark's version, we know he not only says it to his disciples, but to a whole crowd of people. So he was talking to his disciples, he had their conversation, and then he turns to everyone. He's like, in fact, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Yikes. 
So I want to talk about what this looks like for us today, what it means for us to give God complete control over our lives. So we see in verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So the first point I want to make is that following Jesus means giving up my right to be in control. When I decide to follow Jesus, I don't get to control anymore how I respond to people, what I say, what I think, what I do. I've given that all to Jesus. And this is something that requires humility on our part and requires submission. There's nothing more humbling than saying, God, I give you control. I'm not going to work out of my own abilities. I'm not going to work from my own talents. I'm not going to work on my limited point of view, what I think is right. I'm going to give control to you. And I will submit to you, which is painful, because I know what's best, right? We know what's best for our lives. But I can only come to God when I've come to the end of myself. So growing up, my brother and I loved to play video games together. Our favorite console was the GameCube. So every Saturday we would go and we would play Mario Kart. And we were a great team. And then one day he got a new game called, it was a Spider-Man game. I don't know what it was called. Maybe some of you had it. But I remember sitting down to play with him and we plug in our controllers and he gets to be Spider-Man and I get to be the bat that, you know, follow him around in the level and help him knock out the bad guys. So I'm like sitting there, you know, like, getting all like into it and I'm the bats and I'm like yeah like we're knocking this out bro and I'm just like pressing all the buttons as fast as I can because I don't even really know what all of them do and and then I realized I kind of stopped pressing some buttons because you know like my they're getting sore and the bats are still moving and and then I realized I'm, I'm not the bats this is a one-player game and my brother tricked me because he didn't want me to hold him back in this game. <laughs> and obviously it made an impact on me because I remember it to this day, but I was not the bat. <laughs> but I think that sometimes we give God, just like my brother did to me, we give God that he's, we give him the illusion that he's in control of our lives when he's not. And we can only come to him when we come to the end of ourselves. That means submitting and being humble. That means I have to submit my bitterness to God and, and forgive her. It means I have to submit my anger to God and show that person love. That means I have to submit my lust to God and see that person the way God does. They're not easy things to do. They're not natural things to do. But Jesus was the ultimate example of somebody who did what he didn't want to do. He was agonizing in the garden saying, Father, take this cup from me. I mean, his sweat was like drops of blood. He was agonizing. But he said, yet it fits your will. And he humbly submitted to God to do what needed to be done so that everyone in this room could come into relationship with him. We see that the verse continues. It says, and take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross. What does that look like for us today? Hopefully, it's not carrying around these crosses everywhere. That would be really uncomfortable and really kind of weird looking and hard to get up the stairs. And I don't think it would fit in the elevator at Kenyon Square. But 
Paul writes in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So to take up our cross, essentially, is to crucify our passions and our desires and to trade them for God's. So following Jesus means giving up my right to be in control, but also means that I must choose to deny myself daily. So Matthew's version doesn't say daily, but Luke's does. So I'm going to go with Luke on this one. But it says to take up their cross daily. So this requires perseverance on our part, right? It's not an easy thing to do. We have to daily wake up and decide, okay, I'm going to forgive this person again, and I'm going to show love when I'm angry, and I'm not going to have road frustration, which is what I like to call it. Um, my husband tells me I have road rage. It's road frustration, really, you know? It's not, like, I wouldn't actually do something to somebody, but I'll get real frustrated. And I only notice it in myself when someone else is in the car. Like, normally I'm fine and dandy, but someone else is, and I'm like, oh, you had to pull out now. Thanks for the turn signal. Or, like, you maybe want to speed up. We're kind of getting onto a highway right now. But as human beings, we're prone to evil. Andy Stanley says, we don't drift in good directions. We have to discipline and prioritize ourselves there. Because you know what happens when I go about my day doing what Cherish wants? I spend a lot of money on clothes I don't need. Thank you, Anjali and Abigail, for telling me about the Plato's closet down there. That was no good for me. They have way too much good stuff there. I spend a lot of money on clothes I don't need that I later probably regret that I don't even like the way fit me, and it's just game over. When I do what I want, I gossip about other people because it makes me feel better about my shortcomings. I sit there and I talk and I talk and I talk negatively about people. Instead of spending time in prayer and reading God's word and hearing what he has to say for me, I'll watch six shows of my six Netflix episodes of my favorite show. Just over and over when I do what I want. Thus, every day, I have to continually deny my desires and instead lean on God's love and compassion. Lamentations 3, 23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Another thing I want to point out from this verse is, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple... And the word disciple in the Greek translates to learner. Learning is dynamic. It's a process. Jesus doesn't say whoever wants to be perfect. He says whoever wants to learn from me. Whoever wants to learn from me. That means we don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. We just have to be committed to the process. Because mistakes happen and bad days come when we choose ourselves over God. But the very next day, we're presented with a choice to lean on his compassion and to choose his voice over ours. And that is why taking up my cross is a daily and active choice. And it says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So far, we said following Jesus means giving up my right to be in control, an act that requires humility and submission. And the decision to deny myself must happen daily, which requires perseverance. And now we're going to talk about this great paradox about losing our lives to save it. But this is the meat of the passage because he says for, he says because, 
So this is why you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Because if you try to hold tightly to these things of this world, to the life that you have, you're going to lose them. But if you want to gain something worth living, then you have to give it to me. So sometimes you read this passage and you're like, oh, you know, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will find it. And you're like, yeah, I get that. It kind of makes sense. And then you're just like, well, that's a nice Devo for today. And then you keep going because you're like, I don't really know what that means. Like, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. And that's why sometimes Jesus just confuses me with his paradoxes. Because you see him all throughout. They're just counterproductive. This is a theme in the Gospels. We see him welcoming children into the kingdom. And he says, for it is the one who is least among you all who is greatest. And he says, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. I like being first. I went to Kroger a couple months ago. I was loading up my cart with the groceries, you know, the Kroger right down the road. So I've got my cart full, and I just want to be home because, first of all, I'm at the grocery store, so I can guarantee you I'm not in a good mood. Nobody goes to the grocery store like, yay, I get to shop, right? Everybody's in a bad mood. Like, you just see the stank faces. They're just like, <laughs> they're like running into your cart. Like, you try, like, someone's just standing there, and they're just like bumping into you. I don't know if it's like where we live, but nobody's ever in a good mood at the grocery store. And it's always like, like sometimes I just try to smile and pass on like friendliness and just nothing, just deadpan. Like they're set on getting their groceries and going home. So I'm at the grocery store and I finally, finally make it to the checkout after like swerving around everyone. Because I always go when it's most inconvenient. There's always a bunch of people when I go. So I've got my cart and then there's like this standoff. I see another lady with her cart facing me and we're both trying to get into the same checkout lane. And it's like that moment where you hear the music, like you see like the tumbleweeds going and it's like, so I'm like, well, I'm going to go because YOLO. So I like go in front of her because she's got like a full cart. Like she has way too much stuff. Like I, I'm not waiting for you. I have like five items. Yeah, it took me an hour, but I have five items and I'm going to go. So I go in front of her and then as soon as I'm like putting my stuff on, I'm like, you did a good thing, Cherish. You know, like you're confident. It's okay. And then I'm putting my stuff on the belt. And then I hear, oh, ma'am, ma'am, there's a lane open right here. That lady got moved to the other lane. They opened a lane for her. Like, so she got to go before me, and she was done, and she was out the door before I even, like, was punching in my Kroger thing. And so I was like, okay, God, maybe I just, you know, should have let that lady go ahead of me. Then I could have gotten out here a lot faster. But this is what it means when God gives you something seemingly counterintuitive that's paradoxical, that makes no sense in the moment. Like, why would I let her go first? That's not going to make me go faster. Oh, lo and behold, they open up a whole lane for her. Like, this lady's someone famous I don't even know about. <laughs> but these things that God say only make sense through a spiritual lens. When Peter rebukes Jesus, he tells Peter, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Your eyes are fixed on the earthly pain that's going to come from my suffering, on being with me forever. You're not focused on that if I give my life, you are going to be saved, and, and you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. And there's a, whole, there's a whole rest of the story, but you have to fix your eyes on what God has. This requires trust on our part. To give God control, we've got to trust him. We have to trust that his plans for us are good, not to harm us, not to take things away from us, not because we constantly need improving because we're never good enough. He already loves us. 
but do we trust him that the things he's trying to tell us are so much better than the things we've been trying to scheme for? The things we're working and fighting to make happen? I mean, bless the Lord, I didn't marry the person I wanted to in eighth grade. Like, woof. You know? <laughs> but, but sometimes it's easier to work from our own power than to do the thing God is asking us to do. When we try to protect what we have, when we hold tightly to our comfort, our money, you name it, we have this scarcity mentality. We're saying we don't trust God to provide. We're saying, God, I don't trust you that when I forgive this person that I'm going to feel better. I think you're against me and you want me to get over this and you're mad at me. But it's like, no, when you forgive them, you can be free. That's what I want for you because I love you. He's saying when you give your money to me, I'm going to multiply it. You're not going to wish, oh, I wish I hadn't given that $10 to church. You, know, you never regret the gifts that you give. You never regret forgiving somebody, even though it might be a process. Because when we give God complete control of our lives, he gives them back to us more fully. And therefore, denying myself is the only way to actually save myself. I want to continue Matthew chapter 16 starting in verse 26 and 27, he says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. There's going to be a day when we're held accountable for how we stewarded the life that God gave us. If we really gave him control, or if, like my brother, we gave him a controller that doesn't work, saying, I'll give you the illusion that I'm in control, you know, I'll, I'll worship you, I'll read my Bible, but when it comes down to it, I don't really feel like doing this for my family member, because you know how rude they've been to me in the past? Like, I'm not going to do that, God, or, or I see that person's in need of something, but I really, that's going to hurt my bank account just a little or maybe a lot. When it comes down to it, are we willing to do the things that God requires of us to be his followers? See, everyone, when you woke up this morning, or some of us are still waking up this morning, that's me, you were given another opportunity to listen to God's voice today, to choose him. And it's just the start of the day. You have a whole day ahead of you. And over and over and over again today, you're going to be presented with a choice to do what you want, to follow your desires, to hold tightly to those things, or to let go and just trust God, to humbly submit to his voice. My prayer is that when given the choice, you would choose to forgive the person you've been angry with instead of gossiping about them. It never makes you feel better afterward. That you would choose to have hope and not despair, knowing that it is the great I am that we sing about, that he is holy, that he is almighty, that he has a future for you, and look to it with hope and not despair, that you would be generous with your time and your resources, rather than just trying to keep everything yourself to hold tightly to them, because we can't take any of that with us. But what we can take is that soul that was touched by your generosity. And that you would choose patience over frustration, whether that's with your roommates or your family members or a friend. 
Because to lose control of your life is to gain a life worth living.